am I evil? Yes, I am. How you doing today, Ben? And that was so shit. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. You are man. Yes, you are. Um, and this is Thunderdome Metal Reviews. And if you couldn't tell from that, we're either doing Garage Days re-revisited or some Garage Incorporated or some other Metallica bullshit. Or we're actually going back to the source and doing Diamond Head's 1980 release Lightning to the Nations. So which one is it, my friend? I'm going to go with Diamond Head 1980 Lightning to the Nations because it's the one you gave the most description for. <laughs> Correct, sir. <laughs> Woohoo! The teaching oh. to the test worked out. Yay! It's like I've got skills or something. So, as I said, this album came out on October 3rd, 1980, 12-inch vinyl. It has a runtime of 41 minutes and 21 seconds. The lineup was Sean Harris on vocals, Brian Tatler on guitars, Colin Kimberly on bass, and Duncan Scott on drums. And your initial thoughts, my friend? Man, so uh, while preparing for this album to review it, we didn't discuss on what we were reviewing of it, or which issue we were reviewing of it. So I didn't think nothing of it, and I listened to the entirety of the remastered 2011 edition, which is a runtime of an hour and eight minutes. It has twice as many songs on it, and the entire second half wasn't on the first edition of this. So like I did four listen through on that one, and then as of last night, me and Ben were talking, and he's just like, hey, we're doing this version of it. And I was like, oh, thank God. Because I had one major gripe about that album at that point in time, and it was the pure length of it. Well, it wasn't bad. An hour and minutes of that album really starts to wear on you after a little bit. About, uh, about minute 59, you're kind of like, is this thing still going? So that was my first impressions of it, because I was listening to the wrong album. But... I, I went back and re-listened to it of those first seven, and it only reinforced what I originally thought outside of the length of this runtime, in that this album is noticeably, and with good reason, a masterpiece. Yeah. And I think that uh, that 2011 remaster, 2001, whenever it was, um, is probably a good deal, because you're getting not only this album, but all the other songs that you probably know from having listened to Metallica cover them at different points throughout the years. So it's kind of a great way to get all the stuff that you've heard of. I have to say that this is the first time that I've listened to this album was when we were reviewing it. Two things stood out to me. One Same here. is how closely and faithfully Metallica did the covers of these. That's really not that much of a surprise, but it does stick out. Metallica is a wonderful cover band, um, most of their covers stay fairly are pretty close to the vest and, and truly tributes to the the bands that they're doing covers of. And B, the thing that stood out to me was how warm the guitar sound is. I love the sound of the guitars on this album. And to, and I think having listened to this, that is one of the things that I will say about the retro movement that rings code to me. And I use that word. Um, strategically it's not that most of the people who are doing retro metal are bad far from it it's just there is something inauthentic about the sound because of the way that it's recorded the fate the way that a lot of it is recorded digitally you're not going to find the old tube amplifiers that these guys were using that were probably fucking 20 years old or or more i mean i don't know what equipment they used to record this on i didn't care enough to look it up 
but it just gives a different sound. And the recording to analog and then transferring to digital, whatever you lose there, as opposed to the way that a lot of the new stuff sounds, not bad, doesn't quite have that same sound as the original retro or classic or standard heavy metal, even though these guys are kind of clasped into that first wave of the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, Anyway, I just went off on a huge tangent there that has nothing really to do with this album. I mean, I feel like it does because you got to think. Because when I went back and looked at this album on Wikipedia, like these guys self-released this album because they weren't getting any traction anywhere and nobody would uh, put them on their label. So they self-released it. So that kind of means like these guys maybe themselves rented out a studio, found one, stole one, you know, pulled an airheads kind of thing where they just took it over. Like we're recording this album fuck you if you don't want us to and they kind of don't think that was the the case but but they kind of like you get the sound from this it seems like they plugged in their amplifiers and they just put a mic in front of the amplifier to record the guitars well now it seems like more in the recording process kind of going back to what you do their guitars run directly into the mixing board and where they fiddle with them from there so i feel like that's part of the difference in mixing now that you're probably mentioned of and i'll agree there's this the way I it came across to me is like a proto thrash. Like this is the missing link between Deep Purple and Metallica and like the thrash days. Like this is the missing link between that Judas Priest and 1980s thrash heavy metal style that came about is like yeah. they were the perfect jump from point A to point B from that mid 70s and a little on. Like they had done the drop D, but they didn't quite have the speed of it putting it. To me, yeah, I think that's fair. I, and I, I think that both from interviews from the early 80s, both Metallica and Megadeth would agree with you. But this is kind of, you know, there's a reason that so many of the songs off this album and some of the stuff off their EPs that came before this, Metallica has covered. Another thing is sonically, if you haven't listened to this band, to me, they fit in between that notch of Judas Priest and ACDC. I will I will agree with you to some point on that one. Like, I feel like they are, yeah, because, I mean, ACDC hadn't quite had that, you know, ACDC has kind of been that, like, stepping stone to metal. Like, you know, when I first got into metal, ACDC was one of the bands, like, oh, cool, but they weren't quite fully into it. And I feel like with these guys, they are similar in which they, they easily straddle what we now classify as classic rock into the early metal days. And... Listening to this album, even I was actually surprised that not more of this shows up on terrestrial radio because I there might have been like one song I think I remember hearing on terrestrial radio off of this. I think I heard Am I Evil once or twice, but that would be about it. Um, well, to me, it's that you know, at the time that this came out, the line between what metal becomes and hard rock was really really thin it was more of a membrane than even a line because you could cross back and forth so there are elements of this that now i think would be just straight up hard rock um it's electric or helpless for example whereas i still think am i evil is pretty fucking metal if for no other reason than the lyrical content and that badass fucking opening rift which i think you know spawned millions of guitar players to try and do hell that was one of the first riffs i learned on guitar when i was trying to learn how to play 
was the, that finger-tapping intro to Am I Evil. So to me, it's there in that it's got just a little bit of the the punk speed, which would become thrash to your point that ACDC had, and a little bit of that, you know, Judas Priest, new wave of British heavy metal or traditional heavy metal sound to it in conglomeration. So that's kind of why I think that your assessment of it being the missing link between traditional metal and thrash is so on point. I don't know how much of a, a an actual missing link it was because, you know, at the time Metallica was aping it pretty good. But looking at it now, 40 years later, yeah, I'd say that this band has kind of it's weird. It's Schrodinger's legendary band. And that it is either very well known or not known at all, depending on who you talk to and, and what their relationship to the music is. Yeah, I'll, that's actually a very apt description of it. Because, I mean, I hadn't heard this album beforehand, this. And upon first listening through, one, the drum for I Am I Evil. And, like, I feel like it was ripped from them for Super Mario World 3 and, like, the level 8 dungeon worlds there. When you're on, like, the shrimp, the da-da-da-da. Like kind of that was like, I feel like it just portrays such as deeper, darker sound that, you know, would bleed into this. Some of the Slayer Venom sounds that came up later in the mid 80s. You're getting the sweeping guitars and the speed while they also maintain some of that power chord rhythm sound that is familiar with ACDC Deep Purple. And they're doing all this while still staying within a relatively drop D tuning. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that a lot of metal fans, I guess because it's like Rolling Stones put this, I think, in the 40s of their number one albums of metal albums from like 2017, like of the top metal albums of the top 100 of all time. And they did this list in like 2017. They put this one as like number 41. But I feel like they forgo such how much of a stepping stone, like, you know, you and Buck talked about Judas Priest and... British Steel being that connecting point and showing commercial viability and sound. I feel like this probably needs to be in the same discussion. Like, I mean, Binding to the Nations, British Steel, and oh, what's the Iron Maiden album that came out this year? Uh, what's that, Killers? No, it was the, I think it's Number of the Beast. I'm looking it up real quick. No, Iron Maiden, their self-title came out okay. in yeah, that was 80. Yeah, I knew so it was Number of the Beast because that doesn't come out till 82. Yeah. But, I mean, even then, I mean, that's still a hell of a three-trio lineup. And I'm sure we're probably – Back in Black came out in 82, didn't it? Uh, um, I know who it's by, but I don't think it came out that early. No, Back in Black, I think, came out in, like, 90 or something. 1980, Back in Black by ACDC. Oh, okay. That is a – like, hell, that's another four-combo year right oh, there in, that, yeah. that kind of shaped how the genre came about. Um, Well, I'm going to give you some pushback. Okay. Because Diamond Heads, this album sticks out because it was not the commercial success of the others were. Doesn't mean it's not as influential because we've covered that because, like I said, Megadeth and Metallica both heap all kinds of praise on this album for obvious reasons when you listen to it. But, you know, it, it did not... There's a reason that Diamond Head isn't spoken of in the way that Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and ACDC are. Part of that is because they didn't have the career that those bands did. And that doesn't mean that they're not a a good band or anything, or that this album isn't important. But if you're talking about, like, one of the things that 
Buck, the point Buck was making is the commercial viability. That album sold a shit load more than this album did. So it, this album is nowhere near the commercial success. Like, I'm, I'm not even trying to argue in the sense, I guess, in the commercial success, but like, because obviously Diamond Head did not have the career that these guys have, that the other ones have had. I I don't know many people who can name anything outside of Diamond Head outside of this album, honestly. I, can you? I can't. I'm just going to throw it out there. Not really, no. Um, yeah, I think that, no. Okay. And so what I was getting at is I think they're, they're the, like that one-hit wonder band album release that ever that kind of like pop culturally kind of stuck or I guess built an underground self-movement themselves for it. And part of that for me, looking at, you know, British Steel, Iron Man Killers, this album, then Black and Black, is another four albums strong in a year that you can see came that were fundamental to a lot of bands that formed in shortly after this. Like Metallica formed in 1981, you know, Megadeth was 1983, Slayer was 83 as well, Anthrax was 84. If I'm remembering the dates right, could be wrong. But like these bands that are forming during this time, these all are playing a heavy role in and their style that is evident in their play. And I feel like like those four albums together provide a lot of the missing link or like a lot of those steps moving from Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Motorhead to yeah. these four albums to the wave of metal you get from 83 on, including the hair metal and a lot of the underground like that comes about. Um, I don't know how much of this bleeds over in hair metal, but otherwise I completely agree. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Um this is better than Killers. Or I'm not sorry. Well, it's better than Killers too. But this is better than Iron Maiden, that first Iron Maiden album. Part of that's because I don't really care for Paul um, mm-hmm. Diano, or however you say his last name, as the, the lead singer for Iron Maiden. But, you know, at seven tracks, The Prince, Am I Evil, It's Electric, Helpless. Man, those are all fucking great. Lightning to the Nations itself is a really good opener. So it may not have been as commercially successful, but as far as just being a, a good album, uh, yeah, yeah, totally, man. I mean, you know, in some ways, in some ways, this, although it is not as well produced, this is on par with British Steel. Yeah, I will, I will agree with you on that. And I feel like, I feel like this album is criminally underrated due to them not being as commercially successful as they, as their counterparts were. I feel like this album belongs higher than 41 on Rolling Stones list top 100. It at least belongs in the top 20, 25. Because I can't really think of anything else that came before it or remotely afterward that really influenced the genre as much. Because you can directly link four bands coming from this album that changed the fucking music metal metal sphere. And then some. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of an influence this actually was on Anthrax. Because I don't know that I've ever heard them speak to it. But uh, the influence on Megadeth and Metallica is obvious. Like, I'm going through to kind of take a look and see what Rolling Stones listed as the top above them and see what it sticks out. What is the context of this list again? The top 100 metal albums of all time, and it was out in 2017. (laughs) So you could argue this. Peace sells, but who's buying's in front of it? I agree with that. Tool Anima. I agree with that. Uh, Among the Living. I think that this album is probably better than Among the Living. Mm-hmm. 
But, I mean, there's a lot of people who just really who consider that Anthrax the best album. I just don't get it. Yeah. Okay. And Justice for All. Yep. Too Fast for Love by Molly Crew. Yeah. Morbid Tales by Celtic Frost. Chaos ID by Sepultura, which you could probably look at that one. Corn, self titled, Sabotage by Black Sabbath. Mayhem de Mysterious, Dom Santos. Cues, Blues for the Red Sun. Like, I mean, they're what they put in front of it. Some of them have a good reason to be in front of them. But I wouldn't say that this album is 41 out of top 100. I feel like it should be top 20. I don't know. I'm going to have to sit down, and I wish I had it in front of me, but Martin Popoff, who's a very well-respected heavy metal album reviewer, released a book called uh, The Top 500 Metal Albums of All Time, and I'm just curious as to where that falls on that, and I'll have to look when I get home because I don't know right now. It's just that I feel like for as influential this album was on a lot of bands, that it should be higher than what they're giving it credit for. Okay, that's fair. Uh, was there, I guess we've, I've, anything else you want to add to this? No, not really. Oh, well, actually there is, because one of the reasons that I went off on that tangent about retro metal, now that you've listened to a couple of, and granted, not that many, but now you've got British Steel under your belt, this under your belt, does it change the way that you think of retro metal? Somewhat, and I can direct, like, I'll say... Haunt has been, you know, level traditional metal, and they have a much more polished sound coming from, which is kind of, I think, where you're kind of, I don't want to say pointing fingers, but they're an example of what you're meaning. I feel like of the retro metal bands I've listened to, some of them take this more analog sound more seriously. Like, I feel like Trevor did a good job with having that, I don't want to say recorded in the garage sound or, you know, poor production sound, but that's not as polished. It has a little more roughness around the edges to it that you kind of see in these albums like you see with that. Um, but I think you can also definitely tell if you were to put traditional metal from today and one of these, you can definitely tell that they're from different time periods because the traditional metal from today is still influenced by works of art, by works that, oh, well, really works of art, as I originally almost added, that are influenced by this album. So you're kind of getting like a, I don't want to say regurgitation, but you're getting this self-influence kind of repeating process to where it's feeding back in on itself because you are getting in newer metal albums. Some have a little bit higher production. Some of them have elements of a little bit more, I guess you'd say double bass row that you don't really hear here. Uh, like they are doing some of the callbacks to the sweeping guitars and doing guitar sounds. Like you are getting this, it's a modern take is easily, I guess you could say, definitely like this is, this is like if somebody had, like if me who was a fan of classic rock was listening to music today, whatever is on the local rock, modern classic rock station, and then it's like, all right, I'm gonna write something along these lines, and all these influences that are coming across through here, siphon filtered through the eyes of today, and with the techniques and the styles that it came about, while also having, I guess, some flourishes from genres that are more present in the sphere of music than what was then. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing and place that I will definitely agree with you on that is I will say that a lot of the retro metal bands lyrically are more of what we think of as metal as opposed to especially some of these earlier albums where some of the songs are unequivocally metal, such as Am I Evil, and, and others are not so much, you know. Um, and I've been 
kind of critical of like on the Traveler album and also on Haunt, the the songs that are just about fucking cars and shit. Because I'm not that big of a gearhead. I worked on cars for a living for a little while, so I, I get it, but I'm not enough of a gearhead that I just want all my songs about it. Some car songs are really cool. It's, it's often overdone. Uh, but where I'm going is is that the songs from this earlier era didn't have all the tropes of what a heavy metal song was thematically because they hadn't quite been established yet. We're still a few years away from that. Whereas I think most of the retro metal thematically, lyrically, are much more metal than some of these earlier songs would be considered now. On your point of the uh, gearhead songs and the car songs, like I feel like some of the more modern traditional metal artists t- kind of wrote those of a, like if they were trolling, you know, Main Street or, you know, the court square like people want to do here, driving up and down the block, blurring music. And this is it's kind of like their envision of what would be playing in a car as it drove up and down the street as opposed to what actually was playing and trying to kind of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it could just be an ode to doing that because they're, I get the sense that a lot of them are from smaller communities too. And God knows I spent fucking years just cruising around the mall area in Paducah or main strip in Marion, Kentucky. So I've been there. I've done that. I think that, you know, if you are a small town person, you just get in your car and drive around because there's not dick else to do, but you don't want to be home and you want to be hanging out with your friends. So I understand the the appeal of that. It's just uh, not my scene, man. Also, that's I'm 20 years past that point. So <laughs> you, you've outgrown it a little bit sitting in McDonald's parking lot. Yeah, a little bit. I have an apartment now. You can just come hang out on my couch. I don't I don't have to go sit in a parking lot anymore to talk to people. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of like an old back to those days. Oh, what's it? The Matthew McConaughey from what's that movie? Days right, and Confused. Right, right. Yeah. Like They're I feel like it's an ode. <laughs> I feel like it's an ode to like that. Yeah, cruising. Which you know they did a lot of that shit in the fifties. I mean, my parents' generation did all kinds of that shit in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. But anywho, that really has nothing to do with this. I guess let's just go ahead and grade this thing. Alrighty, uh, since I guess I'll go out here first, and I'm gonna give this thing an A plus. Like my biggest complaint was the length on the reissue, and that got taken care of when we moved to the actual release of what's on this album. And this album is short, compact, succinct, and I don't think it misses a beat everywhere. I think it has such a significant role in the sound of music that I listen to today. And without this band, I feel like without this album. I don't think a lot of the bands I was into would have quite that distinct sound that they do. They may still exist, but I don't think it's quite as prominent, their style. Yeah, I think you're on to something there. My initial response was an A, but because of influence, I might have to go ahead and bump that up to an A+. I mean, it's it's very weird because even though I like the versions on here and I said that the Metallica versions are fairly faithful, I do actually like the Metallica cover versions of them better. Um Maybe a little bit heavier, maybe. Oh, I think they are. I think they're just a little bit heavier. There's a, an additional guitarist on them because Metallica was a two-guitar band as opposed to a one-guitar band. Um, I like James's voice a little bit better than I like Sean Harris's. So that that is just a little bit of nitpicking because the underlying songwriting is still very good. And, you know, I think there is something to if this band 
hadn't released this album that Metallica would have not sounded the way Metallica did. It would have sounded different. I'm not going to say that they wouldn't have existed, but it would have been different. So, yeah, fuck it. I'll give it an A plus, too. Alrighty. Well, I feel like this is the fr- 1914, I think, is the only other album that both me and you dropped an A plus on. I'm just kind of looking through our rankings. 1914. Slayer Rain and Blood, I gave an A. That's the only other one that comes close to ranking on this for us. All right. So I guess you could say we have three albums that have fully achieved seal of approval for both of us. Yep. As must listens to for any fan. Oh, yeah. Sounds like we're getting a pretty good little playlist started of Thunderdome Metal Reviews, top metal albums of the ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the Golden Gods, as it were. Yeah. The the double A pluses. Hmm. But I would say that I feel like this album is often tied just from how long it took me to get to it and how much I've been listening to music and how little you hear to spoken about this album. Because, I mean, for a long time, I thought Diamond Head was a spinoff of uh, King Diamond. I mean... <laughs> So part of that and like just how criminally I feel like this album is criminally underrated for what exists and what it represents as that step forward in metal progress that if you're a fan of metal, haven't heard this, check it out. That's yeah, that's all I can say. Well, uh, you know, for my generation, we uh, all knew of this album because of the Metallica connection, but very few of us heard it because it was out of print or incredibly hard to get um so it's really cool Um, you know i kind of slag on digital platforms a little bit because i do prefer having a physical copy of stuff especially if it's stuff that i really like but without the digital platform and this being put on spotify i probably never would have actually listened to the the original recording so you know um because i was not in the tape trading loop where people would send off cassettes blank cassettes and people would dub them and send them back or anything like that i didn't know anybody who had this album we all knew the songs of course from the various garage things of metallica but i don't think anybody in my metal cohort had heard this until the last few years agreed and my metal cohort was it's i think it was a little bit smaller than yours might have been a lot of my friends not a lot of my friends was into metal and the few that uh, like one or two of them and did their own thing with it, but the rest of them were like, hey, it was more me, but you should check this out. Imagine that. <laughs> Can't imagine it at all. So, so I mean, this is definitely a, a nice find for us to come across on this one. I'm glad we did it. And yeah, it, it gets the Thunderdome seal of approval. It does, it does. I wish that these guys had, um, which, I mean, I don't know. and they, they released a few more albums, but I wish that they had gotten the recognition that I think we both feel they deserved. Agreed. I will say they released an album last year, and there was a couple good songs on it, but the rest of it kind of fell in that filler part. Like I, th- they hit all of their, they hit their stride on this album. It was just kind of the perfect storm of quality, insanity, and wonderfulness. If that's a way to phrase it. <laughs> well, it is now. Yeah. I mean, uh, they released four solo albums before taking a break. Um, well, actually, they released three solo albums, then took a 10-year break and then to, between 1983 and 1993. And then they took another extended break until 2005. And then they started releasing albums again, released one in 05 and 07, and then the last one in 16, although they apparently also released one last year, like you said. Yeah, and so 
I guess you, what you call it, these guys are a modern day seven dust or, or an earlier seven dust, a modern day seven dust, but like an earlier seven dust. Like they're always at the cusp of greatness, but it seems like they never did make that full on step commercially to the next level. Yeah, definitely so. They, they never quite got the um, recognition. Yeah, that they deserved. Although I want to make one correction that it's not we had not made is that Sean Harris was playing rhythm guitar on this album as well as singing. That's that's crazy. That's not that crazy, but I, I think it's should definitely be pointed out. Well, Ben, is there anything else you'd like to add on to this or? Nope. Uh, I have nothing more to say about Diamond Head other than if you haven't, give it a listen. Agreed. All right, man. What is next? We are the next episode we are looking at awake by dream theater the 1994 release by dream theater i think that might be their first album actually uh it's their second album uh their first album is is images and words yeah so let's see what our resident prog fan thinks of prog 20 years ago or not quite that long ago but there's a there's a good discussion behind that holy shit yeah 26 years ago yeah man we it's it, it, we're getting old it feels weird that 94 is only was 26 years ago instead of like 16 yeah but uh yeah and i feel like we'll have an interesting discussion on this similar to our junius discussion i guess we time will tell indeed all right man uh you have a good day and everyone out there in listener land let us know what you think let us know if you agree with us about the sound or if you disagree with us or all that good stuff. But one way or the other, we thank you for joining in on our journey through metal. And thank you for listening to the Metal Review Song.